Welcome to my podcast, Tea with Twiggy. In each episode, I speak with a good friend of mine or someone that I find fascinating, all whilst enjoying a good cup of tea. I always enjoy these chats and have no idea where the conversation is going to go. And I hope you'll enjoy them too. Well, I'm very happy today because I am going to talk to my dear, dear friend, the most gorgeous supermodel, Erin O'Connor. Erin O'Connor, how are you? <laughs> Hello, Twiggy, how are you? Well, you look wonderful. I have to explain that what you've got on your head. Thank God it's Christmas. She's got Christmas tinsel pom-poms. They are divine and I want a pair. <laughs> In my former life, they would have been nipple tassels, but, you know, <laughs> I've recycled them. That was my previous career. I recycled them and they're on a nifty little headband. I just thought it would make you laugh. Yeah, it does. It, I love you. You always make me you. laugh. I, I always ama- it always amazes me because before I met you, we I have to explain, we met, we did a series of commercials for um, M&S. Yes, and I'm right. happy to say you became part of my life and hopefully yeah. a lifelong friend. And... But before I met you, I was very nervous because in your photographs, which are so gorgeous, I mean, so many good, I thought, oh, God, she's so sophisticated and she's so... And then when we met, you know, I mean, I have to tell you, she is one of the funniest people on earth. Oh, my goodness me. Well, I mean, we were like Pinky and Perky on set over, over that whole period of time, weren't we? And we actually, I must say, I, I was extremely extremely nervous to meet you too and and I, I can't remember by whom exactly but we've sort of been given let's say respectful instructions of, of how to speak to you I mean <laughs> you are our fashion queen so oh. I wanted to observe a bit of etiquette around you and make sure I got everything right because it was a major, major deal in my family. Um, I mean, you know, you talk about all of the work I've done, and it is. It's very austere, and it looks very serious. And I suppose I'm known for that tiny little pocket of high fashion. But when I got onto the high street, my parents were so chuffed because they could <laughs> see me driving down the M4 because all of a sudden we were all on billboards and my you dad were. then felt I'd made it because I was so famous. That's so funny because in our world of modelling, what you were doing first is like the pinnacle to to do the high fashion, to work for the great designers, to be in Vogue and Harper's and, the, and yeah. you know, ID magazine. But to yeah. the general public... They don't I was relatively well. I was relatively unknown. I mean, I found it difficult enough to get you know copies of Italian Vogue, so my my folks never really got to fully join in. And actually, that's a lie. They came to one Alexander McQueen show, and I couldn't let them. I couldn't let them come to another one because there was something about seeing them on the front row has been an absolute bit. And the two of them were hysterical and crying because the daughter they remembered living home, I think, at 18, was not this sort of 
woman and they could see on stage performing and they hadn't really ever seen that side of me before. Because when I went home, which is a lot, I was just daughter number two. (laughs) And it's very difficult to describe what you do for a living unless you are there and watching the magic unfold. No, it's true. It's true. I actually, I forgot to ask you at the beginning, which I always ask all my guests, <laughs> got a cup of tea because we're having virtual Look, tea. I thought this would make you laugh. What's it say? You're all right, you are. <laughs> <laughs> You're not so bad yourself. What oh, does mine thanks. say? Look, no. read mine. I can see four. I can't see anything. I'm going to have to lift it up. Oh. Foxy. No, for fuck's sake. Fuck. <laughs> you have oh, to be careful how you say it. Oh, not. my goodness, there's that <laughs> tremendous dirty laugh that I love the most. I, I always say, well, before I got to meet Twiggy, I heard her. I heard her. And it's that filthy laugh of yours that gets me. And to be honest, you were all so sweet to us. When you walked in the room, you were like, hiya, I'm Twigs. Nice to meet you all. And that was it. Well, you and know, I some... was nervous too, but, you know, you were like my my surrogate daughters, you oh, and Laura Bailey and my class. I, I'm I... still in touch with all of you, and we all you became such good. good buddies. Well, we travelled. We did. What, for four or five years? We did two commercials a year. We travelled the globe with M&S. We did, yeah, we, we did. did have fun. What was your favourite commercial? Oh, what was my favourite one? I, you know, I think probably... The very first one, because it was all so brand new and fresh. And it was a pleasure to see me looking happy for once. (laughs) Because I really do love having a laugh. I really, really do. But it was just about being in movement and having a good time and working with a brand. It was one of my first jobs was um, in M&S as a girl guide. I had to count how many people came into the shop for them. And then all of those years later, we all ended up representing them. And it was somewhat of a rebirth, wasn't it, that whole period of time? absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'm still very much in touch with uh, the the art director who put us together, Steve Sharp. Yeah. And it was he really that had the concept. He really did. He was fantastic. And Stuart Rose, who was the head of M&S then, you know, always said it was the golden period, that that period of our ads. Joe Roman, the director, was yeah, just unbelievably we had some clever. And I love the Take That one as well. Oh, I did. I love the Antonio Banderas one. Oh, my <laughs> God. There was a scene where he was supposed to, I was supposed to fall in his arms. But we had a slight height situation, right? <laughs> And so then we, we, we kind of zoomed into the shot instead of doing the... the um, full length at the top of the grand stairs do you remember and and of course it just didn't work because he's perfectly compact and I'm extremely elongated so we had to drop that theme would you remember the one we I'm gonna have the giggle now do you remember the one we did with Peter Kay the comedian the brilliant comedian and at some point I had to go up to him and he had we were on a stage and he had to, t- the director said, so Twiggy will come up and you you turn, I, I can't remember, I don't think we said anything. I had to go to him and he had to turn around and kind of push me like, oh, you are awful. He pushed me 
so hard. Oh, I God. nearly fell off the stage. You <laughs> Maybe you weren't there that day. And I he was mortified was. because... Well, you're only a little so, bitty thing. I mean, was, come well, on. He, I say, and he's quite a strong, strong laddie. But he was so he's a lovely. Strong laddie. He was. Yeah, lovely. it was, now, and it was lovely. It was just a lovely, lovely moment to grab onto people. And I knew right from the off I was going to hold on to you forever. Yeah, and I, Lee. Well, yeah, you know? yeah. He sends his love, by the way. And yeah, you know, all I've, I, I say, I've kept in touch with all you girls, and and lovely Naomi. No Amy, sorry, wrong way around. No Amy, yeah. I always muddle up her. Yeah, me too. And Lizzie. Yeah. Actually, I haven't heard from Lizzie for ages, but she's sweet girl. But anyway, take me back, take me back. You grew up. All the way. Where where did you grow up? So I grew up in a little, little town called Brown Hills. And I was very much a product of, of my parents. My dad came over on the boat. In the, I guess it was late 60s, and he came from Ireland, and at that time, you either landed it, you either docked in Liverpool, or, or, I don't know, a a lot of Irish people ended up in Birmingham. So my dad went to go and get some work, and and a lot of his brothers were already out there. My dad's one of 11. It's a proper, robust Catholic family for I you. I say, are they Catholic? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so naturally, he met my mum. She was just 17 uh, oh, in the yeah. Shamrock nightclub. And, um, the Shamrock nightclub. The Shamrock nightclub. Could it be any more cliche? I mean, it's perfect. It's divine. And then we ended up just sort of shuffling further and further from Birmingham and then landing in Bram Hills. And... We lived in this fantastic little pocket. It was a council estate. So out front, you had like a very sort of grey urban environment. But out our back bedroom window, you had these rolling fields and a railway track, a cathedral spire and a windmill. I mean, it was idyllic. And we didn't realise how lucky we were at the time because, you know, all the kids that we grew up with have also, for me, become lifelong friends so we just used to be able to go out and play and when the lampposts you know came on automatically we knew it was time to go home oh that's so sweet and my dad worked in the factory across the road so and he manned the big entrance door so whenever we'd come home from school on our bikes he'd wave he'd press the button up and down on the door so we always knew he was there looking out from us across the field So happy, happy childhood. So free. And what I think about Austin, actually, is is my own kids, because everything has to be pre-organized, supervised. We had the great luxury of roaming free and being safe and adventurous and and being able to use our imaginations and just Mm. be. I know. My daughter, who you know, Carly, she's grown. Well, she's your, you're the same age, aren't you? Yeah, we are. Because you're my are. surrogate daughter. I Erin. know, you're my surrogate <laughs> mummy. But I think of my darling grandchildren, and you know, and it, yes. it, it does, you know, it, what they're growing into. And although the internet is wonderful for so many things, yes. it's that balance. And I wonder how mothers like you, young mothers like you and Carly and all your crowd, how you how you feel it's going to go forward? Do you you know how do you get them out in the open to play rather than be on their tablets all day? It's a, it's, it's hard, isn't it? 
It is. And, and we're very lucky because we've got a back garden. Mm-hmm. And I'm also lucky because I've got two very rambunctious boys and it's, it's, it's about letting them be. They're like big puppies. Yeah. So they're pretty good, actually, on that score. They do like... I mean, I was out playing football yesterday with <laughs> that I would Albert. Like to see. <laughs> oh, you wouldn't. I mean, I'm crap sh- at shooting, but I'm not bad in goal just because of the sheer scale of me. I mean, <laughs> it works. It works. That's <laughs> but, so funny. Yeah, it's true to say that, that, that whatever um, whatever he does with play dates and everything else, it's all... You have to drive them in the car, then you have to stay, you have yeah. to just make sure that they're, yeah. they're you know, for us, pressure as parents as well. You know, the rules have changed so yeah. much exactly. from since we exactly. were kids. I know. Um, and since I was, you know, I'm the generation before you. I'm, I'm your mum and dad's generation. So it's, yeah. re- I mean, it was so free. We used, to, I mean, I lived, I grew up in a suburb of London. Um, but we play in the street all day because there weren't many cars. I've got a picture no. that my elder sister sent me recently of the North Circular Road. You know how busy that is. <laughs> and it's a picture because we lived off the North Circular Road, a little street. Did you? Yeah. And it's a picture of the she took of the North Circular Road and there's one car on it. In the oh, my God. I mean, that's just, and that probably would be in the, that would have been in the, I was born in 49, so that would have been in the mid-50s. And it was completely empty with one little car. Well, you know, it's funny that because when I was growing up, only rich people had cars. And I remember the first person who brought a car who drove into the estate. And I remember it was a gold Montego. (laughs) Oh, my God. And we were all enamoured and and, uh, enamoured and and thralled by it, you know, because... We realised that it was, um, you know, a, a material object that, that we still considered because we walked everywhere with my mom or, or we rode our bikes to school back mm-hmm. and forth. And, you know, we, we, we had um, a good little cluster of people around us that, you know, when you're a kid, you don't think about material things so much, do you? I no. mean, all of our houses were identical, apart from if you could afford to add extra flair. Like, I remember some people then got the crisscross diamond window, glass windows, <laughs> and things like yeah. that. And you didn't have a plant pot made out of painted, painted rubber, which was a cut-up tie. You could actually afford a plastic paint pot. And we all used to put them in the, on the drain in the front garden to make that's it look so... lovely. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> So when did you ever dream that you were going to be? I mean, did you have a dream of being a model, or uh, no? Did it come? What what happened? How did you get discovered? Tell me. Well, I, I had quite sensible ideas when I was a child. I I, I wanted to be an ice cream van driver. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't think of, of any more magical living experiences. Then going around and being able to have my own bubble gum and ice cream whenever I damn well wanted. <laughs> so I've always had the bug for travelling, which is good, because you know what it's like, we're, we're nomads. I also wanted to be a coach driver. Um, but That's actually, so at the time I was spotted, I think it was in 1996, mm-hmm. and I was spotted at the Clothes Show Live. And way back then... It was a bit of a thing, you know, you got spotted. And I was with my friend, Michelle, and um, we were 
bombing around together and I remember we'd made a big effort and I was wearing the jeans, my favourite jeans that were still wet because I hadn't washed them in time but I was determined, took three buses to get there. It was all about Karen Franklin, you see. She was, she is still to me a fashion icon and um, yeah. so we were really excited to maybe get a glimpse of her. And then I suddenly realised throughout the day that there were people looking at me and then finally I got approached by this lady and I was in a bargain bin I was literally halfway in it looking at some clothes I think it was scutty and um, I thought she was going to accuse me of nicking something (laughs) right so how old were you but I was 17 okay but what she was doing I was doing my a-levels what she was doing was she was sort of almost like she was sharking around and I hadn't noticed her but she sort of noticed me and she sort of tapped me and um, she said, um, excuse me, um, have, you, have you ever thought about modelling? You've got a really interesting face. And I mean, I could have fallen on the floor laughing because, of course, you have to imagine at the time that my mascara had run. I'd got sheets of hair to my waist and this big metal mouth full of braces. You know, the train track ones. Yeah, I know. I've I've literally still got the scars inside my mouth. And I remember she took Polaroid pictures of me. And I felt really self-conscious because the only ever time anyone had taken pictures of me on my own was for school photos. And I I was absolutely enamoured that, you know, I could see what it looked like straight away because it's not about you. But when we were growing up, we took rolls and rolls and rolls of film that were never developed they just lived in the kitchen drawer forevermore (laughs) so you know I was never really used to anybody wanting to take a picture of just me and I was very conscious at the time of my nose and my braces so I kept trying to dart around her so she couldn't see my profile but she'd already seen it and that's actually what she loved yeah I say it's one of the great profiles (laughs) Erin you know when you're a teenager it's really not because one thing you don't want to do is stick out. And all of a sudden, my boobs didn't arrive still, and my nose just kept on growing. Yeah. And I thought, oh, well, I was my like you. God. I hated my legs. I had yeah. no boobs. I was very little. And, you um, were. And very, you were, very you were. shy. Well, I should oh, never have become so a model, really. Shy. Because I was, uh, if I'd have gone to a model agency then, in nine, well, 1966, they would have shown yeah. me the door because I was under five foot eight. I'm five foot six. You're five six, aren't you? Yeah. Well, I remember yeah. we ha- had a conversation about weenie, it. Yeah. Weenie for a model. As yeah. You know. And they wouldn't take yeah. anybody under five foot eight. And my okay, measurements yeah. didn't get anywhere near their minimum measurements. <laughs> I was oh like my little gosh. boy with blonde hair. But so, you know, you know, they don't always get it right. <laughs> and actually the first editress I went to see because a friend of a friend had somebody on a magazine and I went to see her. I think it was um, Harper's, actually. And she was lovely to me. And she said, well, you've got quite an interesting face because I was a mod and I had all that makeup. You know, I did all that makeup Yeah, myself. and you did all your own makeup, didn't you? I did. We didn't. Yeah. Well, I was a schoolgirl, yeah. I yeah. didn't wear it at wow. school, but a week So when I went to see her, I had it on. And she said, well, you've got a very interesting face. I'd like to do some test shots. But you're, I have to tell you, you'll never make a model because you're too small. And then three months later, 
<laughs> when the whole thing happened to me. And you I were a global phenomenon. I was like across every newspaper. She came into a, a restaurant we used to go to, San Lorenzo in Knightsbridge, and she came. Yeah. She was at another table. She came over to me and she said, "I goofed, didn't I?" <laughs> Which I thought was really sweet. Don't you yeah, think? I really do. I mean, I must say, even when I was a little girl, um, I knew Twiggy. My parents knew Twiggy. We all, from whatever walk of life, knew Twiggy. But I never, ever thought in my wildest dreams I'd really get to know Twiggy <laughs> and be known by her, you know, by know, you. It's weird. Well, I, you know, it I've is. met amazing people. My first yeah. trip to America, Sonny and Cher threw a party for me in California. Oh, my Lord. I mean, it was madness. Madness, and they were huge madness. stars. Well, Cher still yeah. is better. Yeah, but yeah. They were like it was the "I Got You, Babe" era. So they were massive stars, and it was like it was weird. It was like yeah. well, you've been through it. It's all these people you've modelled for, the Alexander McQueens, and all the top top facade. I mean, I can't list them all. There's so many. Have you got a favourite? Oh God! <laughs> well, I think one of my first shows in Milan was for Versace and um, I, I was just nearing the end of my A-levels at the time so imagine then going to Milan and opening the show with Naomi Campbell wow. and I'd read about all of these phenomenal women from Linda to Amber to Shalom to Kate uh, and all of a sudden I was in the lineup with them it must have been terrifying I was an absolute Absolute bag of nerds, and because I was the new kid on the block, I wasn't necessarily approachable because I was six foot and a bit, and I got very short black hair. And it it took me, and it has taken me many years to realise that being really shy is tricky when you take up so much space in the world because actually people are wary of you before they meet you. I mean, I've got my dad's face, so it means that I don't look particularly inviting. If I'm concentrating, I look like I'm coming at you with a machete. I mean, there's nothing in between. It's either like a slapstick smile or I look very serious. So nobody really spoke to me. Not mean, but there just wasn't much chat. And I remember opening the show with Naomi, and it was all very surreal. And I remember then going into a portaloo and having a bit of a sob. And I remember getting my phone card and going to a phone box in, in Milan and saying to my parents, I'm never doing this again. I'm coming home. Oh. Well, it's, you know, to be thrown like I was into that. And for you, I mean, it was slightly different for me because I never did the catwalk. I only did photographs. And um, Have you ever done catwalk, though, Twiggy? You've well, done I've, a couple as a kind of celebrity thing, but I never did yeah. that. You know, because in my, I tell you why, it wasn't because, you know, it was a different era. Because we're in the 60s, the big designers, all the French designers, the models who worked for them in their, you know, um, yeah. showrooms, they did the shows because they built yeah. the clothes on them. And That's then right. people yeah. like me did the photographs of them for Vogue and Harper's. They never crossed over. And I think it was, you never, the high fashion, the, the girls worked for the houses, for, you know, Givenchy and for Yves Saint Laurent. They had their own models who did that on the catwalk. That's right, that in-house atelier. 
yeah, and I think the first time it crossed over was when, like, the Super Five or what they were called in America. Yeah. You know, Cindy and... Cindy Crawford. Crawford, oh, and yeah. Um, Claudia Schiffer. Yeah, Claudia Helena Christensen. Oh, you're very good. <laughs> well, only because, you know what? Can I tell you something? My boyfriend at the time went to Northampton University and I was horrified when I went to the loo. In his in his dorm, and there were all of these pictures of bottles in there. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, they changed it. They changed it all. So I think it was Versace got them on the catwalk, didn't he? That's right. Yeah, and he was... wanted to create these powerful, iconic yeah. women who were not clothes horses. Yeah, you you were an extraordinary um, uh, sort of feat, really, because. You were you, and nobody wanted to change you. You were the essence, the magic of what they wanted. And, and I think for a lot of models, particularly today, there's just this really kind of stuck, homogenized. Has the industry tra- changed a lot since you, you started, do you think? Because I'm not really that, you know, I went off and did so many other things that I kind of got lost in that I got I lost that world for many years because I went into acting and things. But do you see a huge difference from when you started? Well, I do. Um, And I I realised how fortunate we were, really, because I actually got to cultivate a career, to grow a career. And actually, it's so fleeting now for the girls. They come in and they don't really learn the benefits of movement and performance in the way. I mean, we were literally chucked onto stage and given basic instructions, hit that light, that crescendo of music, mm-hmm. and and make sure you're out there for three minutes. So if I think of the Alexander McQueen Voss show, it was mm-hmm. set in a, in what what was a sort of lunatic asylum. <laughs> I just remember Lee <laughs> saying to me, "Right, just lose your shit for three minutes, and then." Just collapse on the floor and rip your dress off at the same time. And I said, I said, are you sure you want me to rip the dress? Are you, uh, just checking. Are you sure you want me to? Rip? And he did. But but we didn't realise how freeing that was because what I'm invested in as a model um, is uh, performance. So actually, the physicality of my job is something I really enjoy. I'm less better, shall we say, in 2D form. And it's a shyness thing. I just need to keep moving. You know, I, well, you I, it, move it, so amazingly. That's why, and that's why all the huge big designers love you so much. Well, I didn't. Well, thank you. I mean, it, it's it's an interesting thing because I don't think many people know that we don't get direction, we don't get choreographers, we don't get rehearsals. It, it's literally going out um, with all the luck it, in the world. It, and improvising and it's very improvised but don't you think modeling is is performing i mean i i believe very strongly and some of most of the great models i include you do perform and and they bring their own special magic well back at you sister but i think i perform as soon as i walk through the door and i go into the studio because i sort of have to embody her because my natural state of comfort is to be very introverted so, you know, for me, it, it, my job is something that nourishes me. But on the other hand, it takes a lot of my energy. I think a lot of people feel very sustained by it. But I, I, I do my thing. I go to work. I love the transformation of hair and makeup. 
and I love the freedom of a catwalk. But then I'm all right going home. You know, I'm okay yeah, going home. Yeah. I, I don't want to go to the after party. I mean, I love having a good time. I just want to do it in private. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You can get away with more. <laughs> You know, so many little girls dream of being a model, don't they? You know, I mean, when I was young in the 50s, little girls kind of dreamed of being um, actresses or film stars or ballet dancers. But now lots of of little girls you talk to, they want to be you or Kate or Claudia or Naomi, Naomi, um, Campbell, you know, they want... That is the dream, isn't it? Well, I think there's been a big push of reality TV. So I think a lot of of girls have been really quite influenced quite heavily by TV rather than fashion or different creative genres. So, you know, I think everything feels very immediate. Everything feels very overt. And, um, you know, even, even as women, I think, you know, it's, I want to keep hold of the sensuality rather than the the sort of in-your-face sexuality. And I think it's a lot harder growing up as a girl these days, I think, because the normality of then documenting everything you feel is then given to the world to judge and and spectate. And, you know, it's so Um, fast-paced. I, like you, I do worry about, you know, all the access and influence that the internet has. Didn't you set up a a foundation to help, wasn't it, the walk behind the catwalk? Beyond the catwalk, sorry. Explain what what that is, because that's all about body image and... It was, yeah. Yeah. And so um, it was a, a good few many years ago now, and I was working as vice chairman of the British Fashion Council at the time, and it was kind of one of my first grown up jobs. Um, and it was actually really, really important to see the behind the scenes of how London Fashion Week works and how we influence the rest of the world and budgets, et cetera, and sponsorship and how vital it is that we're supported. Because as you know, we are the most creative hub, I think, of all of the capitals of fashion in the world. And yet Absolutely. we're still grappling with standing up and being seen. And, and actually, you know, it's, it became a real thing to to have younger models coming on the stage. And it was an immediate way of, of the British designers to get their wares out and on show. But what I didn't like was that at a certain point, the models were getting increasingly younger, which meant that their bodies were really severely underdeveloped. There was a sort of very prepubescent look happening. And at you know, that may be something that can be managed in photographs, but on the runway when it's real and it's happening in front of your face, the industry actually in many ways quite rightly got a bit of a bashing. And I got um, into trouble quite early on with another couple of um, well-known English models. And we were sort of used, I guess, if you like, to to get the news out there. And um, I was devastated because the articles that they were writing were really full-on um, questioning my health whether or not my fertility would be intact 
Um, I had an undercover journalist um, pretend to be a dresser backstage at a fashion show so that she could then write a full article on what my body looked like naked. Unbelievable. And I realized, you know, that it wasn't personal, but the devastation part came in thinking that in some way I may have made another young woman or even a girl feel bad about themselves. And that was never my intent. And I felt so passionate about trying to inspire the people really that should have been running the show uh, to put some guidelines and offer up some advice and support for models because really we're a small part of the chain but we are the final image that's seen and observed by everybody we speak in 2d form in a very powerful way and that goes global absolutely and we know that certain images that go out yes if the dress is or the outfit is worn by a certain model they can that's right sell yeah. millions and millions across the world i mean Gigi Hadid, she's had a huge influence in America worldwide on yeah. what she looks like. So many young girls, um, you know, follow That's right. So it's, That's it is a, right. it's a big weight on your sh shoulders, really, isn't it? It is because also, you know, it's not like being an actor, I suppose. When you're a model, you're playing a very extreme character and it's temporary and it's fleeting. I mean, for me... I'd be lost without a corset and a wig and some strange makeup because <laughs> if you tried to put a lick of mascara on me and a rosy cheek, I would go into a state of panic. I never needed to be beautiful. I wanted to perform, and actually the more extreme my characters were, the more I enjoyed them. So mm. I was fine playing with a dead person. <laughs> I was fine playing Pharaoh. I was fine playing Salvador Dali. I was fine flying through the air in a harness being struck by imaginary lightning. I was fine walking on water and flying through fire. But you do look amazing in clothes. You do look amazing in clothes. And that's what all the designers, you know, dream of is a body and a, a, a performer like you because it, well, in the end you're you. showing their clothes off, aren't you? And I, and I suppose there is a height thing that comes into play because cause you are just, more obviously seen you're more obviously yeah. noticeable noticeable um but i am glad to say having set up you know the model sanctuary which is all about trying to inspire and improve actually i don't like saying models it's young people first and foremost that's mm -hmm. what they are just trying to nourish them with aiding themselves to be self-sufficient and self-advocating and knowing actually that boundaries are really important so, I mean, I was feeding up to 300 people a day um, at one point. And we had a counsellor on board and we had a nutritionist and an osteopath. And I wanted to, to let them know that they were important. And instead of victimising and vilifying them, I wanted them to stand up and, and, and be counted and know how to look after themselves. Yeah. So it was actually a really important thing. And and I was one of three people who founded the first model union because we just didn't have one. I know. And Brilliant. there was a lot of chat in the House of Lords then about the distinction of age and why it's important. So no model in the UK is allowed to work under the age of 16. Yeah. And there are two things there. There are two really, really important things. And the first is that as a 
a teenager under 16, as far as I'm concerned, you're a child. And you're still developing mentally and physically, right? And it's a lot to ask for someone to have such extreme exposure at such a tender age. But on the other foot, you think of all of the men and women who are inspired by fashion and they look to it for inspiration. It's really not fair because actually you can dress a young girl up and they can look so powerful and and like a desirable woman. And yet, Grown women trying to emulate themselves on these young girls that aren't quite fully formed yet is just as dangerous. So there were two elements, and I kind of wanted to protect first and foremost the models, but also the audience from thinking this is the only way to present fashion. And that's where All Walks Beyond the Catwalk came in because I was sick to death of there being no diversity. Well, you know, again, I I got accused of encouraging anorexia i ate like a horse i was just i know very skinny kid me too and like you and i used to my big thing was always every interview i did i would say you know i just happened to be thin my dad's very thin i look like him i'm quite young so you know that's the way the shape i am and everyone shouldn't be this you know everyone should find their healthy weight and that yeah and i think the industry I think they're getting better now using different shape models, you know, of different sizes. But I hope, I hope so. But they have quite a lot to answer for, I think, you know, the the magazines and things. Yeah, because, yeah, because they project what's desirable, really, at the end of the day. Even if subliminally you're flicking through a magazine, you're seeing what what is, you know, I guess meant to be desirable and... And um, I got, I just got sick to death of the lack of diversity and and um, body size, ethnicity, age. But it is getting better, isn't it? It is. It is because I could never fathom out why all of these amazing designers with their design credentials couldn't really think outside of one limited box. So literally, so the wonderful Nick Knight helped me set up a campaign, um, and it was called Size Me Up. And I got to take the pictures, and he was the most wonderful assistant for the day. (laughs) Can you imagine Nick Knight being an assistant? Nick Knight, I have to tell everyone, is one of the top, top photographers in the world. So, And he was your assistant. (laughs) (laughs) Only for a few hours, but but I think we were on to something because, you know, mentally and physically, fashion... um, allows people to express the full range of emotions Mm. it's bigger than a print it's a world you can delve into isn't it that's right yeah absolutely and um i always if i think of going to work and and i'm doing an editorial magazine shoot i kind of want to fly across the pages somehow to keep it alive yeah but he was brilliant for me on that day because it was basically saying we're asking the question size me up what is the definition of beauty and why should it be so limited let's just free ourselves up here and have a good time and do it well and do it with quality. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, in 2017, you got a very special letter. You were honoured with an MBE. Did you have a lovely day? Well, I thought I was in trouble with my tax. I thought, what is this letter? Yeah, that's what I I got one two years Did later. You? And Lee said, Oh my god, is it a tax letter? 
I know. I said, oh, my God, what have I done wrong unwittingly? And then and then I opened it up. And I won't say it doesn't matter, but it really did. It meant yeah. an awful lot to me. I, I didn't finish. Um, I didn't get a degree. And it was kind of something that hung over me. And my my little Albert was big enough to realise that we were going to the palace. Oh. And he still refers to it as my good girl sticker. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> How old was he? He four? would have been he would have been four, three and a half oh, actually, goodness. three and a half four. And what was your mum and dad's reaction? They must have been oh, so proud. <laughs> we went. We my mum got a fitting with um, hat fitting with Stephen Jones, and wow. she she'd never experienced that before. So we went to town, and she put on a little catwalk show for my dad, who sit in the who sat in the audience of Stephen's shop in Covent Garden, uh, and we all just. <laughs> I know. We all dressed to the nines. And I was in bits. All of a sudden, just before I went out, I became a bit emotional. I don't know about you. And I, I was think very was that, nervous, I have to say. I was <gasps> petrified. Who gave you yours? The Queen. Ooh. The I Queen. Got Prince, I, oh, you lucky oh, you I got, Prince, uh, Actually, Prince Charles you got Prince lovely. Charles. I got well, Prince Charles. King. He was lovely, and I do know him. They really are. I mean, I just kept thinking, gosh, she's going to be on her feet for two hours. She is Wonder Woman, know. you know. And I do remember there's a screen, isn't there, that big TV, and yeah. all the recipients that are waiting are watching everybody else getting theirs. I remember walking out, and there's this beautiful orchestra, isn't there? And the birds, um, oh, what was the song called? This is Sweet Symphony or something was, was playing as I walked out, right? Oh, my Lord. I I gasped as I, I saw the TV and I thought, I'm not going to make it. I can't walk. And what have I been doing for 25 years almost? That's what I do for my career. Just all you've got to do is put one foot in, in front, front of, of the other, right? Well, I wore flat shoes because I was so, you know, I, you know I can't wear. Yeah, no, I no, I know you don't like you your heels. heels. So yeah. I, I wore a trouser suit with flat shoes because I thought otherwise I'm going to fall over. <laughs> I know, I saw you. You look beautiful. Were you wearing Stella? Yeah. Well, as soon as it was announced, I'd got I'd got the nod. I got a text from Stella. Dean, Dean Twiggs. Um, yeah. I got a, a text from Stella saying, "Can I dress you?" So I rang her up and said, "Yeah, she, what do you what What do you think? What do you think you'd like?" And I said, "Not a dress. I think I'd like um like a cream tuxedo or something." So yeah, I mean, you're so on. known for your suits, aren't you? And the, well, that's that's how I dress. You know, I'm not I'm not I'm not a flowery dress girl. I look better in trousers. <laughs> Me too. I look more feminine in suits. That's the funny you thing. Look fantastic in your trousers, but can you get trousers to fit you properly? Because no. the length in shops. Still no. Must, no. Not really. I mean, some places do them. They do. It's either get the length and and tuck the waist in, or just have them cropped. And, and <laughs> well, when I did my first shoot in Paris for the. Paris collections for American Vogue uh, with Bert Stern, I think it was. Oh wow! All these dresses would arrive from the you know because we shot them at night and they'd come yeah, from the show. Of course, I all remember these, that. Yeah, all these you know Givenchy and Dior and Chanel, these amazing clothes. But most of them, we would I'd put them. We'd all be in hysterics because their models were all you know, five foot nine upwards. And there was me and we put, and I was tiny and we put them on and like the waist would come down to my crutch. Oh my God, Twiggy. 
So that I is sat the through a lot of the show eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that they'd introduced me to from America. And then there was a Chanel model who was a little Japanese girl, and she was my size. So I got to wear. I got to wear. Oh, thank girl. God for one. I mean, I always so, had the opposite. You know, I was sort of on my knees <laughs> doing a full length shot in a ball gown. Yeah, we'd be, we'd be I, the double act, actually. We would. <laughs> Bert and Ernie. Tell me about, um, you You became an ambassador for Save the Children. Are you still? Yes. Or is it, is it, when yeah. that happens, is it just for a year or is it... Well, no, I'm not sure. It's been running for over a decade now, and it's an ideal partnership, I have to say. And I've traveled afar with them, and I've seen the impact of what they do um, and actually how determined and brilliant they are. Because part of the challenge often is getting access to people, the most vulnerable people that need the most help. And there are also here and there some sensitive cultural issues that need to be observed between you know, men and women and trying to get women into the workforce and empower them and earning money and using their trade and their amazing skills. And and actually, this year in particular, um, Save the Children has been really important for our children here in the UK as well. I mean, you know, for the first time in 70 years, we're seeing our own children not having enough food, food not being able to... You know, have money for uniforms. I mean, my my older sister is a family support worker, and so she's probably, um, <laughs> ironically, with the pandemic, been closer to all of them and holding them really tight. So she sees for herself. She's on the front line of seeing children who are very vulnerable, indeed. And so we've obviously been a little limited in how we've been able to help and facilitate this year. So. We've been reading well, yeah, You've been doing some wonderful things on your Instagram, haven't you? Yeah, and actually it was lovely because Albert loves taking pictures. He's brilliant. So he, <laughs> he shot the Save the Children Christmas Jumper campaign. Brilliant. And Absolutely brilliant. Because no one else in the house can do it. And anyway, it became a thing then and lots of other really um, lovely ambassadors who, who are my friends, like Laura Bailey, mm-hmm. um, their kids shot them. And That's it's right. so interesting when you work with your kids. First, I was knackered. He worked me really hard. Uh, he wanted me to do star jumps and, and combat roles and things like that. I'll show you all the outtakes. They're hysterical. I'd love um, to see that. And he, because he, you know, he's a whiz on my phone, of course. He's six, but he's a whiz on my phone. I mean, there isn't a day that goes by when I don't find 700 selfies of him on my phone. And unfortunately, there's no variation in any of them. He just keeps pressing the button furiously <laughs> all of the time. But, yeah, we, we've been able to manage from afar. And also with my charity, Born, um, they are invested in trying to find ways of stopping women spontaneously going into pre, pre-term labour. It's been a big old thing. So we did a at-home catwalk challenge. And I got all my friends to put ball gowns on in the garden and do all sorts of things just to raise money, you know. And and actually, that was a personal choice. And it's been very, very hard this year for charities because, you know, everyone needs help. How have you found this year in the lockdown? um... How have I found it? I, you know, 
there are a few people, um, or actually a lot of people have asked me how I found it. And I think I'm still getting to grips with it, to be honest. I think it's been a very confronting year. And I think when you're all living huggledy-buggledy in one household, there's a lot to think about. Um, but, but one of the lifesavers for us was, was actually... I was homeschooling Albert, so that took up a lot of my day. And then, of course, I had my baby, little Eddie, and he learned to walk, run, and kick a football all during lockdown. But the poor thing hasn't really met anyone else his size <laughs> or age. <laughs> oh, bless you know, so it's been very surreal. But, you know, I've had my folks living with me, and um, it's been so wonderful. I mean, for me... I didn't see, you know how close I am to Carly. I know, you, um, I know. And, I, and her little one, well, number one, she'd had, she had a baby in February. So I did get to meet him, little Theo, but I only held him twice and then lockdown happened. And, and Joni, uh, you were so close. And Joni is like the light of my life. She's I know. I didn't, we, didn't, we couldn't see them because, you know, we're, yeah. Lee and I are in the kind of vulnerable age group. I think they've yes. got it wrong because I'm only 35, really. You know? <laughs> well, that makes me 12. <laughs> so we, you know, one has to be. We had to be sensible, but I didn't 35. see them for five. You look five, That's what I feel like inside. I know. But, well, me too. Um, Big kids. So I didn't yeah. see them for five and a half months, which was that's very hard. Oh, excruciating. But then in it the is. summer, when we were allowed to. See, we've been yeah. mainly in the country, which has been lovely for us. And yeah, at least I'm course. with Lee. I'm not on my own. You know, the people who have been on their own, that might, it's so hard. And But there is a light at the end of the tunnel, the vaccine. I think it's going to take a little while to get it out to everyone. but It will, but thank whoever God. you believe in. But you don't know, you because... think these people... Are, they're geniuses, these scientists. Oh, my God. These things usually take, what, 10 years, they said, to get through. And I know. All in a year. But I remember saying to Lee, because it's worldwide, yeah. all these brilliant, brilliant men and women in that field must be putting their heads together because it's not just our country, it's the world. It's the world. And lo and exactly behold, that. they've done it within the year. And I love the lady who got the first jab. She was 90. Did you see her on the oh telly? Oh, my God. But can I just say, I couldn't believe she was 90. Amazing. She, looked was it, she, she was brilliant. absolutely amazing. I know. That was she the said, real I've moment, had it. It's it? great. Didn't feel it. Everyone should. I just hope most people that can have it will have it. Yeah, me too. I'm with you there. And also all of the NHS. They need it. Surely they get oh, it absolutely. first. Absolutely. They should get it first. Well, I think they are with the care workers. And right. Care home. Yeah, yes, that's right. Yes, yes. Anyway, just last last little question. Did you did you did you take up anything new? I mean, I I kind of took up my knitting again and sewing and doing jigsaws. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And a lot lot of cleaning out. What did what what did you do? I with Albert built a whole army base in his bedroom out of boxes and old bottles, and we painted. We made tanks. And I bought loads of blue sort of streamers for the ocean. And we've got a whole, we've got a whole village now. Hi, baby. That's Albert just now. Okay, my love. Um, So anything else? Do you cook? Are you a cook? 
Um, no, I'm a terrible cook. Absolutely oh, atrocious. Yeah. But but the other thing I did was I started playing the flute again. And I still got my original, my first music book from, oh my Lord, 32 years ago. Oh, my goodness. How brilliant. Oh, I'd love to in the see you flute. That must have been in the 1980s. And, in fact, <laughs> you're right, Albe. It was in the 1980s. <laughs> I'm a genius. You are a genius. In the olden days. Yeah, when my sister's little boy was about Albert's age, he came home from, I mean, he's in his 40s now, but he came home from school and he'd been learning about the Stone Age and he said to my sister Viv, Mum... When you were young in the olden days, did you play with dinosaurs? Oh, my God. <laughs> she was all of 28. <laughs> uh, my eldest said I looked like the BSG. <laughs> May I say, I'm so... You don't need anybody to be proud of you, but I was so chuffed. I was doing all sorts of funny dances when you were named a dame. Oh, because I think it's extraordinary. And <laughs> you showed us all the way and you've oh, only you. ever been totally down to earth and a real scream. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's keep it up. And hopefully oh, hope we can so. see each other and hug each other next year. Oh, my gosh. It and just feels so alien. Uh, definitely oh. a party. Definitely. And we'll have a Thank lovely, you. lovely holiday. You season. have a lovely Christmas. Um, too. I love you lots, and I'm going to let you go I to your baby. I miss you, and I love you lots too. I miss you. I miss you so much. But we'll see each other. We're, yeah, Carly, we're all going to get together and, and, and the kids. We will. Next year. For sure. Love, love you. you. Bye. Take care. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I really enjoyed talking to Erin. I've missed seeing her, as I have with all my friends. But she is quite amazing. She's a brilliant model and an ambassador and she does so much for her charities and she's also as you could hear me giggling one of the funniest people I've ever met and I love her to bits hope you enjoy it if this is your first time listening to tea with twiggy please do remember to tell your friends you can also subscribe for free on your podcast app and listen to all my previous guests if you want to connect with me, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Twiggy or you can find me on Instagram at Twiggy Lawson. My thanks go to all the people that have helped this podcast happen. Many thanks to James Carroll and all the team at North Bank Talent Management. Thanks to all the team at Stripped Media, including Ben Williams, who edits the show, my producer, Kobe Omanaka, and executive producers Tom Wally and Dave Corkery. The music you can hear now is my version of Waterloo Sunset by The Kinks. If you'd like to hear the whole song, you can find it and all the other songs I've recorded on iTunes and Spotify. So check it out. I look forward to you joining me for my next episode. So see you then. Bye. just heard a stripped media production.